Thank you for that, Conrad. Um, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for your love this morning as we come in your presence this morning. Before we open up into your word, we ask for the guidance of your Holy Spirit. Please guide us as we go through your word, Lord. Um, fill us with your spirit so that we may speak of your word in the truth and in spirit to inspire us to live as Christians in our daily lives. In Jesus we pray. Amen. So our Bible reading this morning will be taken from um, the book of Peter, First Peter, chapter 4, um, verse 1 to verse 6. Um, if you have your Bibles with you, you can open up and go through it as I read through. If you don't, that's all right, I'll read it through. And this is the word of the Lord. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourself also with the same attitude, because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. As a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing and detestable idolatry. They are surprised that you do not join them in their reckless, wild living, and they heap abuse on you, but they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel was preached even to those who are now dead, so that they may be judged according to the human standards in regards to the body, but living according to God in regarding to the spirit. Peter is addressing this letter to believers who are going through some difficult times when they are dealing with severe persecution. They are suffering for their faith, the faith that they have in Jesus. He wrote this letter to give practical guidance to the Christians who are beginning to experience a fiery trial of suffering as Christians in the pagan environment. It was a time when many believers were being persecuted due to their faith in Christ. In our reading, we come to learn about the preparation that Peter gives to prepare the early believers regarding the difficulties that they may face due to living their lives for Christ or for God. He urges the believers to arm themselves with the same attitude as Christ. The attitude in our reading can also be referred as to that same mindset. But what does it mean to arm yourself with that same attitude or that same mindset as Christ? Arm yourself comes from the Greek word hopliso. It is a military term that refers to a soldier taking up weapons in preparation for battle. 
The primary weapon Peter calls for an army believers in that same attitude or that same way of thinking that was manifest through Christ during suffering and death. Peter is telling his believers to arm themselves with a commitment to do the will of God and abandon their former sins. Therefore, we look at the battle and the preparation that took place in our reading this morning. The battle that believers truly needed to prepare themselves for. They needed to be prepared because their journey in faith and Jesus is going to be full of challenges. Peter reminds the believers about the suffering Christ took and the attitude he had during the time of his suffering. We all may understand the suffering Christ took. He was rejected, beaten, whipped, abused, called names, spat on, even crucified. But despite all these, we understand what he said. Father, please, forgive them, for they do not know what they have done. Peter wanted the believers to understand when they follow Jesus, that they may also face the same outcome as Jesus. He wanted them to understand that the path that they have taken is not a joy ride. It's not an easy task. They will face many challenges, not only physically, mentally, but especially their spiritual life. These challenges may even cost them their lives. Peter exhorts his readers to be prepared to accept unjust suffering, as even Christ did by arming themselves with that same mental disposition that allowed Christ to do so. Therefore, they must be prepared, and the only way to do this is by changing their attitudes, changing that mindset, and changing their behavior. It's only then that they can fully commit their lives to God. In fact, Peter understood very well the consequences of not having that mindset fixed on Christ. Because he also abandoned Christ when Jesus Christ was persecuted. This is why it's so important for believers to stay focused and to have the same attitude and that mindset as Christ. So that when they face persecution, fear of the flesh no longer worries them. Instead, equipping themselves with the attitude like Christ to get through their struggles. It is the mindset where believers have put Christ as the center of their lives, in which worldly desires no longer drive them, but the will to live for God. In verse 3 and 4, For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, 
carousing in detestable idolatry. They are surprised you do not join them in their reckless wild living. And they heap abuse on you. In these two chapters, we see that Peter reminds the believers of the past life and the things they used to do. Peter goes from addressing and equipping the mindset of a believer to be fixed on Christ and then reminds them that they disarm themselves from the mindset they used to have before accepting Christ. He gives a list of some of the things such as living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatries. All these things affect the way believers carry out their faith in God. We go from verse 1 and 2, where Peter talks about the transformation through having that mindset, like Christ to fully change and walk in living their life for Christ. Peter reflects on the past to give believers that assurance to not go back and walk away from the old pagan ways and stop wasting their time on him. He reminds his readers that they will be hated and they will be judged due to their faith in choosing the path to walk for Christ. Verse 5 and 6 reads, But they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel was preached, even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to human standards in regards to the body, but living according to God in regards to the spirit. Here we have an account of judgment for the believers and unbelievers. It gives a record of whatever suffering we went through or whatever the suffering the believers will go through with their faith. They will not be forgotten. There will come a time when you will be judged for your service. This judgment will be based on the things done in the flesh to determine your life in the spirit. This reminds me of the parable about the talents, the reward of a good and faithful servants. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful of a few things. I will put you in charge of many things and share your master's happiness. There is a reward for your faith in Christ. You may go through hardship, and tribulations, but if you stay faithful, stay focused, and have the mindset or attitude set to focus on Jesus Christ, you will be rewarded. He reminds his fellow believers to be mindful that judgment will come and will be based on the things that they do here on earth. So for us this morning, Our message this morning is a good reminder to reflect on our follow as followers of Jesus Christ. Our faith and journey is no joyride. 
We face so many struggles, obstacles, and challenges within our faith. Sometimes we find ourselves in ways we may suffer and go through troubles in life. And these troubles and suffering may come in many forms. It may come because of our poor choices in life, in illness, in addiction, poor finance. You may even suffer because of your faith in Christ. Get judged at work because you believe in Jesus. Get judged by your friends. Our, remi- our reading reminds us to arm ourselves with that mindset. That mindset fixed on Jesus. Even when we are suffering, continue to walk. Walk with Christ. Because, because it's through him that we are forgiven. It is through him we have hope. And it is that hope that God has given us. And at 3.16, John 3.16, because God so loved the world, he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That is our hope, Christ. We go through a lot of suffering, but Christ is there, no matter what. In Jesus' name, amen. Call on DeWalt. Um, how it works together, and when I did the... When I got these verses, I, you know, it's like, and I think like, like a lot of times in, when we read the Bible, we go, and, oh, Jeepers, how's this going to work? Like, um, you know, it's sort of, but not flat. I don't want to use the word flat, but, you know, how's this, and how's this going to tie in? And the more you start meditating on God's word and allowing God's spirit and the Holy Spirit to speak to you, the more it all of a sudden becomes clear. And it's amazing how Marty has spoken this morning about Yes, we will go with suffering, but we've got to keep on going. And then now what I'm going to go through is exactly the, the ways God says, well, you've got to keep on going. Things aren't going to go necessarily perfectly well. But I'm going to give you the tools to do it. You know, and people need hope. And I want to start by reading um, the verse from verse, you know, the passage from verse 7 on to 11 to the end of it. And it says... The end of all things is near, therefore be alert and sober mind so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others, as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very word of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, the power, forever and ever. Amen. I thought long and hard about this, um, and I thought I'll maybe just share a little bit of my own story first. 
Now, um, some of you might know the story, and, and some of you might not know, but um, my mum and dad, my mum and dad got married because they had to get married in those days. You fall pregnant, you had no choice, type of thing. Um, and the marriage lasts probably about three years. My dad was um, at that stage abusive, and 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 all those things. And my mum just decided she can't carry on. In actual fact, to be fair, um, my dad cheated on her. And um, so at that at that stage of my life, they they divorced. My mum lived a life that probably wasn't suited for to raise a kid. And um, and. Although the courts gave me to my mum, my mum said she doesn't, didn't want me at that stage, and I lived with my dad and my stepmom. My dad in those days were probably, uh, I don't know, very old school, and uh, you know, today's terms would say quite abusive um, in ways and how he was raised, but as a kid you, you, you grow up and you think, oh, well, that's just the way it is, you know? Um, and... Um, and and you carry on with life. My dad was quite aggressive, um, and um, and yeah, he found God later in his life. My dad actually got married, divorced four times, had a girlfriend when he died, um, and um, I I laugh at his third wedding. I had to do this. Well, he asked me to do the sermon. <laughs> <laughs> So I started the sermon like this. I realized that it was at all your weddings. Because I was. Because my mum was pregnant with me when they got married. I was at the second wedding when he married my stepmom. And then the third wedding. Now, it might have, I don't know, I think he laughed, I can't remember. Um, but it clearly didn't stop him to marry another time divorce. So it wasn't, um, wasn't perfect. My dad was a... I mean, I, if I sum up my childhood... I, you know, I think it was full of richness, and there was love. I, I didn't, for one moment, didn't feel that I wasn't necessarily loved. My mum eventually c- came to Christ and, um, and sorted her lives out, and when she got remarried, I, I went and lived with, my, with, with them, with my stepdad and, and her. They, um, my mum fell pregnant and lost a baby um, after birth. And my mum was a very dynamic person, um, but that sort of knocked her, really knocked her. She could never get, really get around it and over it. Um, that with um, bankruptcy, being raped one night, coming home from work, and all that just got too much for her. And she gave herself over to alcohol. Um, Eventually stopped. Now my granddad was a recovering alcoholic. Um, in any case, and gave gave herself over to all those eventually medication, um, and and she just could never find her way back. She eventually took her own life, um, and. Um, such a waste. But in any case. Um, as a young teenager, I was molested by people I know very well, people that induced me to pornography through, through that. Um, I was smoking from the age of on and off, from the age of 12. Um, and yeah, just really 
a, a life that a lot of people would probably today say, um, well, I've got all the excuses not to make a success of my life or to change my life. And why am I telling you all this? I'm telling you all this because during that period of time I can look back and I don't feel disgruntled or I don't feel anger or bitterness in my heart. But I had people, I had the church that was in my life and that I, I met my wife at a very young age. And if it wasn't for her, I would probably have been lost. I had people other than my parents that that was in our church that stood up and, and taught me the ways of God. I knew God from a very young age. I knew God from a relationship point of view, really, probably from the age of about 12. And I've had many encounters with God through my life. And that's what I want to encourage, and that's why I want to share a bit of that, and you'll start seeing how this flows into the next, into the next things. In verse... In verse 7 it says, The end of all things is near, therefore be alert and sober mind, so that you may pray. Now the end of the world could mean anything, really. It could mean literally the end of the world. Now this is said how many thousand years ago, right? And we're still here. You know, that old question about, but what is the end of the world? It might be the end of your life, might be the end of your health, might be the end of a relationship, the end of a season in your life. The end of morals as we know it today. The, approach end, the, the approaching end of all things means we deal with things differently. The moment we know that's the final thing, we look at it differently, we look at it through a different lens. And how we perceive and react to the endings varies. Peter's words emphasize the need to be alert and of clear mind. Now how do we do that? How do we do that if we are not connected to God? How do we have a clear mind and stay sober? if we're not connected. And how do we stay connected to God? Reading His Word and praying. Diligently. All the time. Now, I'm sure we all have sometimes felt a little bit distant from God. Or felt that God was far away or not close enough to us. Is that because God has moved away? No. So we've got to be honest with ourselves sometimes and ask the question, what does our discipline look like? What does our prayer life look like? What is our connection and reading the Bible and understanding the Bible? And again, I'm preaching to, the, I'm preaching to myself here this morning. I'm, you know, I'm speaking to myself this morning about it. You know, just realizing again how a text that had very little meaning at, at, the, at the glance of it, but the moment I allowed myself to spend time with it, what God and the Holy Spirit really just enlightens through our lives. And we need that. We need to be connected. Because we've got the answer to a hopeless world. Right? But we can't live that if we're not connected. In any case, as believers, staying connected to God is essential. The connection enables us to be alert, maintain clear minds, and as it puts, we need to be disciplined. Reading the word and praying are vital aspects of our connection to God. These, these reading, the readings of the Bible and praying not only keeps us connected to God, but it also strengthens our faith. It goes on to say in verse, and I'm sorry, I'm reminded in 2 Timothy 1 verses, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, 
and of sober mind. Now, a lot of times I've read that, that verse, and it's sort of for the first time that of sober mind popped up. Because we always said God has not given us a, a spirit of fear, but God has given us a spirit of power and love. But he's given us a power of, of, of a sober mind, to have a sober mind if we connect it to him. We have to believe this fear is not from God. He gives us power and love that covers sin and gives us a sound mind. In other words, keep us sane. You know, we say that, oh, you know, all the time. When our thoughts are all over the place and we, when we get anxious, what is our position in relation to God? How much time are we spending with God in the word and prayer? Now, you know, like I said earlier on, you know, I'm talking to myself. In 2 Peter 1, verse 5 to 8 says, For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness and to godliness mutual affection and to mutual affection love. For if your purpose if, if, if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being, listen to this, ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge to our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, it's not good enough just to have faith and to keep our faith to ourselves. We've got to add all these things to it. We've got to add self-control. And if you read through all those things, that's all the fruit of the Spirit. Every single one of them. So we can't just be lackadaisy about our faith and just say, oh, well, I believe, so that's okay. We've got to live our faith in a, in a, in a practical way. Now, it goes on to say, God is love. In verse 8 it says, Most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other, for love continues a multitude of sin. Now when I read that, I thought to myself, well, if I forgive somebody, I mean, and I've got a lot of people to forgive, eh? You know, in my life. And so would all of you, people that's you know, done bad things to you or mistreated to you or whatever the fact may be. And it says, well, we've got to love those people, and the Bible talks about it all the time. And although I say I've never had bitterness in my life for those people, but that doesn't cover that sin. Doesn't, my love to them doesn't cover their sin. The fact that I've forgiven them and moved on doesn't cover that. But there is one love that does, and that is God himself because he is love. And because of God's grace in my life, it gives me the ability to forgive and to honestly move on. In my life. In verse 8, love is described by Peter, goes beyond merely forgiving one another's sin. The hurt people have caused, or the hurt you caused, that reflect, reflects God's unconditional love. We can assume that if we love each other with the same love God's love us, that it will cover sin, but it doesn't. It signifies that God covers sins because He is love. People need to witness the love of God. Now we ask ourselves, and in 1 John, 4 verse 16 it says so we so we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us God is love and anyone who abides in love abides in God and God abides in them Ephesians 2 verse 4 to 5 but because of his great love for us God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions it is by grace that you have been saved 
I'm continuously astounded, amazed by how God provides. And God says these things, we've got to do these things and, and help. But he never leaves us. The Bible is full of it. He says, do this, and he has the tools how to do it. Right? He never goes, do this, happy-go-lucky. You know, you sort of work it out for yourselves. Now, have some of us felt like that before? God wants us to do something, but we don't know how. I felt like that before. And I want to go back and I want to say, but maybe we should look at where our position is with God. Because it's there. God gives us the answers to live our lives and how to do it. And this passage is no different. So he goes on and says, hmm. He doesn't go and say, oh well, sit to know somebody next to you and just tell them, oh, I love God. You know, he doesn't go that. He actually quite specifically says, cheerfully share it. Right? Your home with those who need a meal or a place to stay. Now we've all had those in-laws sometimes visit us, right, isn't it? Right. They're part of the package. Right? Because you invited those people, well, they have to now come. Right? And it's quite easy to actually share our home or a meal with somebody that might need it. But I want to take it one step further and say, how do we share our spiritual home and our spiritual food, the Word of God, our church? Are we confident in sharing that with people? Are we grumpy when we talk about it? Are we always complaining and moaning? And the two can't go apart. It's got to go hand in hand. What The making yourself open and available to serve. And it will come through the gifts that God's given us later on. That part is necessary because people's got practical needs. We've got a freezer full of food because there's people in our community that needs it. But when we do it, do we share God's faith in our own lives when we go and drop those meals off or when we talk to people that God can see it, see his work? Now, we should extend our love and hospitality not only in practical ways, like sharing meals, but we should share our faith. Share the word. Now again, if you're not connected and you don't pray, what are you sharing? So the connection to God is critical. And I think... Oh, not digress. In verse 10 it speaks about using our gifts. And that is very interesting for me. Like when we talk about gifts, and when I did this, I obviously immediately went to the gifts of the Holy Spirit, right? But as I read through it, I thought, God, there were some practical gifts there too and how God wants the church to live. And I think we're doing very well with our practical gifts. You know, in general. I'm not talking about this, I'm talking in general of people. When we see people in need, we'll help them. We'll serve. But I'll read this now. God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. In Romans 12, it speaks of exactly those practical gifts that God uh, wants us to do. He says, if it is serving, then serve. If it's teaching, teach. If it is in, to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, do it diligently. Um, to lead, not leave. To lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. God, God has given us both practical and spiritual gifts. These gifts serve as a beacon of hope. 
to a broken world. We are called to be active with these gifts, not passive. Our faith should translate into action because we hold the answer to the only true hope. A relationship with God through Christ. It will be criminal to hold it to ourselves. If the people in my life hold it to themselves, didn't step out and, and took me and, and taught me the ways of God and all that, I would have been a different person today. I would have had all the resentment and, and all those things in my life that I could fall back on. And probably the world would, people would run and say, oh, no, I can understand why you feel that way. But because of people standing up in the church and living, the, living their faith gave me hope. Unknowingly and knowingly sometimes. Additionally, in Corinthians 12, as we all know it, it speaks of the spiritual gifts that God's given us. Wisdom, knowledge, faith, healing, miracles, prophecy, discern, discerning spirits, speaking in tongues and interpretation of tongues. Now this is the bit that I struggle with today, to be fair. And I think we do the practical stuff really well because it's in our control. Right? We can cook meals. We can do that. But when it comes to our spiritual gifts that God wants, that takes discipline. That takes a connection with God. That takes faith. And I think as, as a church and in my life, I can look through those moments when the spiritual gifts, when other people allowed their spiritual gifts to be talk into my life and a life around me. I can remember being at a camp and and at that stage, you know, was in the middle of sort of all this mess and being there in this church and we were singing and, you know, and all that. And it was a little bit all a little bit funny to me, right? I mean, I, I grew up in a charismatic church, um, but this was weird, like, like seriously weird. Like, I was sitting there and it doesn't take much to make me feel uncomfortable. Well, it takes a lot to make me feel uncomfortable, right? And I was sitting there, and I was just minding my own business, and everybody was carrying on. And I could remember that night getting to the bathroom and brushing my teeth. Um, and this guy, elder, elder guy, just came up and said nothing, basically, other than, um, you know, God's got an, an, it's going to meet you tomorrow. And I thought, oh, yeah, whatever, what a weirdo. Like, it's honestly what I thought, right? And without any expectation, I was sitting the next morning, they had the church, and we had breakfast, and we had church, and they had three services during the day, right? So that's, it was like an Easter camp type of thing. And um, I was sitting there, and they were carrying on, and Tipus, the drummer, was doing backflips, and I don't know, whatever. Um, and I thought, oh, I'll just sit down, mind my own business. Um, and we broke up, and we had, we had lunch, and we had our service after the lunch, and after that service lunch, same thing, Tipus, they just kept, carried on where they left off, and I thought, Tipus... I don't know, I've got another four days of this. Uh, and um, <laughs> in any case, I was sitting and I was sitting in my chair and they carried on and I just thought, I'll just sit down and mind my own business. But I, I must be honest, I did, I did in that moment, I did feel, like, well, cheapest, if, is this even real? Like, I mean, and ha, you know, how do I deal with it? So I'll just pray. I'll just sit and I'll just pray and I'll, you know, I'll mind you know, my own business. And another person comes and he sits next to me, says nothing. Absolutely nothing. And he puts his hand on my leg without saying a word. And in that moment, 
right? I felt God in that moment. And it changed my life. Now, I knew God before that. I had a relationship with him. I read the Bible. The short on the end of that story is, for me it felt like maybe 10 or 15 minutes. But I spent the whole night in that church. The next morning through breakfast. And I woke up at lunchtime the next day. Not sleeping, but an encounter with God. And it is as if God took me and he sorted my life out. It's as if he took it and he said, this is this, and he dealt with them. It's like a tick box. I'm a bit of a tick box person, those that you know me. And he just ticked it off, one by one. Not long after that, I met my wife. And everything sort of just started falling into place. Now, if it is, if we are not, and the point I want to make is that those gifts, that discernment, that prayer, and after that, three or four times in my life where, where the Spirit, the Holy gifts of the Spirit worked and was practiced, made a difference. Now, if we go to a world, and, I'll, and I'm finishing up with the last verse, do you have the gift of speaking? Then speak. Then speak as though God himself were speaking through you. Do you have the gift of helping others? Do it with all the strength and energy that God supplies. Then everything you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. All glory and power to him forever and ever. Amen. When we practice these gifts, we have to do it with conviction and determination. And practice without fail. Why? Because there's a broken world out there. There's people that need to hold on to hope. And even in our own lives, we can all have testimonies and saying, well, in times when we didn't have hope, but we had something to hold on because we had our faith. Now, if we don't testify about it and we don't talk about it, what does the people have? What do they have to hold on to other than empty promises? But because we know that we can be connected to God through Jesus Christ, we've got hope. Our perspective on life and when things is challenging is different. We can't stop. People need hope. We need hope. The world is broken. Our kids are lost. Our communities are more dysfunctional than ever. People are lost. We cannot keep the answer to ourselves. We need to open our hearts our lives and our homes to everyone that they can have hope to hold on to. In conclusion, we are called to actively live out our faith, extend love and hospitality, and practice and utilize our spiritual gifts. An active engagement with God provides hope and serves as a testament that He is the only living God. If we don't do it, there's no proof that God's alive. Does it make sense? Jesus is not here. If Jesus was on this earth, he would have been praying for people and people would have been healed. Right? And that's what he did. But he left and put that responsibility on us as believers. And if we stop doing that, God, they will not see God's 
miracles working. They will not see that God is alive. Because the word and the words, the Bible, doesn't become alive until you've read it and understand and have a relationship with God. But we need to be that. We need to be the hope for people without fail that they can hold on to. And I want to end with this last verse. In 1 Peter 1 verse 3. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by His great mercy that we have been born again. Because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Now we live with a great expectation. Or we could change that. Now we live with hope. And that's what I want to end off this morning. Let us not idle. Let us not be scared to share our faith and the work that God has done in our lives. Let us stay connected to God so that we as followers and as believers in Jesus Christ might just be the hope that people's holding on to. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you this morning and, and we just take this word and, and we take this up, Lord, this morning. We take this challenge up with determination and conviction to say to share our stories and to, to show that you're alive because you're in our lives and you're part of our lives. Lord, I pray that you would prepare the people around us and, and our community and all that for this message. People that's crying out and feeling hopeless and clueless. That you would be the light. That you would use us as instruments in the light of those people. That we will not be grumpy. That we will share our faith cheerfully. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you.